Welcome to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. I am Axel Addy, former chief negotiator of Liberia's accession to the WTO and founding member of the Trade for Peace program. Trade for Peace is a 30-minute podcast in conversation with Trade for Peace champions, the global policymakers, entrepreneurs, and innovators committed to promoting trade as a key ingredient for lasting peace. Join us in our bi-monthly podcast as we discuss how trade is contributing to sustainable peace in fragile and conflict-affected countries. Welcome to Trade for Peace. In today's episode, we are honored to have two Trade for Peace champions from Yemen, Ms. Afra al-Zuba and Mr. Rafat Ali al-Kali. Afra has more than 19 years of extensive experience in the fields of development, conflict resolution, peace building, and research. In her work, she has focused on strategic and nationwide interventions relevant to good governance, sustainable peace, reconciliation, and democratic processes. She has worked with the civil society organization for a wide range of social service programs in urban and rural settings. In addition to working for the government at the National Dialogue Conference, she has also worked with donor organizations aimed at capacity building of Yemeni government institutions. Rafat is a fellow of practice for strategic projects at the Blavatnik School of Government at the University of Oxford, where he is currently the global engagement lead for the State Fragility Initiative at the International Growth Center. He previously served as Minister of Youth and Sports in the government of Yemen. Prior to that, he led the policy reform team at the Executive Bureau for acceleration of aid absorption and support for policy reforms. He has also worked with a number of international development agencies in Yemen and was part of the accession division at the WTO where he contributed to Yemen's accession to the WTO. Afra, Rafat, welcome to Trade for Peace. Thank you so much. Thank you, Axel. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for joining us today, Afra and Rafat. Now, let us start with a question I ask all of our guests. What does trade for peace mean to you? Afra, would you like to start? Yes, thank you. So what trade for peace means? Actually, I think it's for us as Yemenis, trade is usually linked to prosperity, to the history, when Yemen used to be one of the leading nations in trade history, and the Yemenis built their, uh, built their country and their nation based on this very valuable activity. And so I think it's for us to be back or to regain this status will bring more hope to people and will flourish the principles of building the peace. So, yes, in my mind, I just link these two words with what exactly we as Yemeni looking forward to gain peace and prosperity. Thank you. Thank you, Afra. Now I would like to turn to you, Arafat. What does trade for peace mean to you? Thanks, Axel. And I think for me, trade for peace is along, and maybe I think of it along three main points. One is the role that trade plays in stabilization. So in countries that are fragile and conflict-affected, the way out of that is usually jobs and economic growth. 
And that cannot happen without trade. And so I, t- I see trade playing a key role in preventing conflict in a lot of countries, but also in a post-conflict setting, in ensuring that people get what they call peace dividends and you know start seeing benefits from peace. And all that is facilitated by trade because really no economic growth and no jobs can be generated if there isn't trade to support that. So that's one area. The other area, which we've seen very closely, fortunately, in Yemen during the current conflict, which is in its sixth year now, is the role that trade plays in active conflict. And it's really about how to ease the humanitarian suffering and the humanitarian impact of conflict. And without trade, without this essential lifeline of food and basic commodities coming into the country, the situation would have been much, much worse. And so this is a key role, I feel, that trade plays in peace during an active conflict. And of course, I think the third area is a lot of what WTO does and stands for, is the role of trade in global stability and prosperity. And just, you know, as a whole, if there wasn't international trade and cooperation and win-win situations out of trade, things, as we saw in some recent years, turn very ugly and very nasty. And globally, everyone gets impacted when trade is touched. So I think this is what comes to mind when I hear about trade for peace. Thank you, Rafat. To you, Afra, we know you've worked extensively with youth and women organizations in Yemen. Drawing from your expertise, what do you think is the role of civil society and development partners in addressing the current crisis in Yemen? So the role of civil society and the development partners in the current crisis is very huge. And especially because the current situation is conflict-based situation and the role of the institutions is not fulfilling the needs of the people. So we have seen it, the role of the civil society specifically, and I will try to give some ideas about how the civil society especially the local, uh, the the Yemeni civil society play a vital role in the current war. So at the beginning of when the war erupted, and we have seen so many, we can talk about thousands of displaced people, and everybody was just looking around, seeking for help or support. We see so many initiatives. We see civil society, we see youth, we see women who just contributed very quickly to serve their communities and trying to support those people, trying to support their neighborhoods, trying to collect whatever can be uh, resources uh, to fulfill the basic needs, water, food, shelter for, for the IDBs. And so many of them, they even try to find some sort of continuous support to those people so they can at least find shelter at the, at the hosting communities and so uh, the role of civil society in the beginning and it continued to be a very, very important and very vital in the current situation. We also see uh, this, the civil so- uh, society currently, and the, they are trying to work in, in how to attract people's attention to the peaceful activities, to especially youth, how can we rebuild their strength to continue their work, to continue to go to schools, to universities, to contribute to peace process on their localities and communities. And on the other hand, the other partners, what you are just, you know, um, ask about the development partners. Uh, to be honest, the issue of development in Yemen now is not that active as it should to be. The main activities here in Yemen are focused mainly on humanitarian sector, which we 
as Yemeni is saying that it's not, we think that some space for development, for sustainable development, for, you know, finding space for people to express their abilities to sustain and to build their resilience is very important. So we are trying to, to advocate among international community, among our partners, international and regional partners, that the aid that is being provided to Yemen shouldn't be just focused on the humanitarian side, but it should also give space to uh, development and building on this humanitarian and development nexus that help Yemenis not just to get the immediate needs, but to sustain for the future. And this will help them get their dignity, build their dignity or keep their dignity and help them also to find a hope that the when you help the youth and help women and you know men to build, for example, you know, their activities, micro businesses or whatever activities they can have as job creation or the, the sorts of activities they can perform. This helps a lot these groups to feel that future is promising. This is what, what I see the role of civil society and the, the development organizations. Thank you so much, Afra, for the insight on the role of civil society. Now, I would like to turn to you, Rafat. You have a background in business and consulting. What do you think is the role of private sector development in terms of achieving sustainable peace in Yemen? Yeah, thanks, Axel. I always say that the private sector are the unsung heroes in Yemen because a lot of what they do goes kind of unnoticed or unacknowledged. While if you look in Yemen, the government authorities have suffered a lot during the conflict. Pretty much the government authorities are crippled. State institutions are fragmented. And this is not only unique to Yemen in any country that goes through conflict. And so what is left is usually, you know, the private sector who keeps trying and keeps pushing for continuing to serve the people through, especially through trade and through imports. I mentioned before, food, food commodities and all that. And of course, the UN and humanitarian agencies who are very active. Now, UN and humanitarian agencies are good about visibility of their actions and making sure they advocate for what they are doing. Private sector just does what they do. They just work, import and export and continue to provide jobs and, and put uh, food on the shelves. And so I think, you know, amidst everything that's happening in Yemen, that the private sector and what they've been continuing to do is, is a bright spot in the story of the conflict in Yemen. But not only in terms of what they do as a business, but they also have the resources to mobilize and to do things that the government sometimes is not able to do. I think one really good example of that is when COVID hit uh, Yemen and at the height of COVID, one of the largest business groups in Yemen mobilized an international initiative to bring medical supplies and to bring everything from devices to protective equipment. to And they mobilized you know, a, a large international alliance. Uh, including some of the largest businesses worldwide, you know, Unilever and others, Tetra Pak and, uh, and UN agencies. And, and they supplied tons and tons of that. And they were able to work across the conflict lines and make sure that this reaches everywhere and not get stuck in the politics of it that maybe other institutions get stuck in. So that's that's another example. But I think it's not limited to that large businesses, but also it's so inspiring to see a lot of the micro and small entrepreneurs and and the resilience that they have throughout the conflict and what they've been doing. And that, I think, is a huge incentive for peace as well, because other young people look at that and want more of that and want to be like that and get a 
some sort of hope that something can be done. And if you look, even during the last five, six years of the conflict, there has been amazing startups happening in Yemen on the ground in different fields, generating jobs, employing people, both in, in, in critical services. You know, if you look at health, for example, the majority of uh, health providers now across especially rural areas are small private entrepreneurs setting up their own uh, businesses and providing those health services. Um, and, and in the cities, you have all these innovative businesses setting up, food delivery, uh, different things happening. So I think that all contributes to this sustainable piece. And that's what the private sector brings into the equation. Thank you, Rafat. Now I'd like to turn to you, Afra, and like to talk to you a little bit about stakeholder coordination. Based on your cross-sectoral experience, how can these stakeholders, that is the civil society, development partners, private sector, and government, best work together towards sustainable peace in Yemen? So to answer this question, first, we have to uh, realize some facts. Number one, that the situation across the country is, yes, the country uh, overall is under, it is considered as conflict zone or conflict area, but the situation is different from one, uh, one area to other area. So and the, the possibilities for coordination and cooperation from one area to other are also different. And the presence and the strength of these partners are also different from one area to another. But in general, what we can say that those partners that you just mentioned, the civil society, development partners, private sector and government, Usually they are, you know, even especially after their war or post-conflict times, they are the main holders or they are the main owners of getting the state or the nation to the right direction for reconstruction and for stabilization stages. So now the question, if we are asking about what we have right now, we have some sort of collaboration and coordination, but it's not that ideal. And again, as I told you, it's different from one area to another. And sometimes you can find an excellent cooperation, for example, between civil society and private sector. And you can find some sort of coordination between private sector and development agencies, some sort. It is different from what we have to use before this war. And you can also say now the government in some areas, they have the capacity and they have the willingness to build partnerships with civil society, with private sector, and with the development partners, but to some extent. Because again, as I told you now, the focus of all these people, of all these sectors, of all those partners, is they are in the surviving mood. They are trying to, how to help each one in their, their areas, how to help Yemenis to get rid of the current situation in each area, but not an ideal collaborative scenario that we, we might have. What I would recommend, what we are trying to do is how can we foster, how can we help those partners to prepare the best uh, of coordination mechanisms to come up uh, to support people. First of all, identification of the people need. This is very important. Obstacles that face Yemenis to improve their resilience. In different means, we are talking about uh, resilience on services, resilience on uh, businesses, resilience on social life, resilience even in the, their psychological capacity and readiness to absorb all the pressure that now that this war is putting on, uh, put, uh, on them. 
But again, this kind of sharing the information is very important. And also having, having some ideas on how they can exchange experiences. Like I would talk here uh, about the energy sector, maybe as an, as an example, you know, and the way that there the kind of collaboration that happens right now in the energy sector or electricity sector. What we have, we have lack of the, the state failed to, to uh, fulfill the, the, the needs for the people for electricity due to the current war. So right now in, the, in some areas, in, in some government rates, we are saying that the private sector now investing in on selling, uh, producing the electricity and uh, to the general public. And we say international development partners, they are contributing to establish solar schemes to operate uh, the public sector, like the health facilities, the schools, which are uh, supply schemes, police stations. And we can also say how, how civil society also contribute to this uh, by raising the poor people needs to those uh, to those partners, how they can support the most needy people. The role of the government on top of is how they can control, not control, but to find the legislative and policy framework to make this in harmony and to ensure the sustainability and affordability and not monopoly of, for example, some private sector on the production of, uh, of energy. So this is one of the areas that I can see some sort of collaboration between partners. And just as Afat gave an example of COVID-19, and we also have seen some areas of, you know, like food supply and these things. Also, although the, the food supply now is, we have like 20% through the international donors and the rest are provided by the private sector. But we have also rule for the civil society in covering Again, covering and identifying the most needy people. Thank you. Thank you, Afra. You are listening to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. We will be right back after a short break. Welcome back to Trade for Peace. Now, Afra, you've talked about the coordination between stakeholders. I would like us now to turn to the role of uh, strong institutions. Although crucial, we know that humanitarian activities can never really substitute strong state institutions and a robust commercial sector in the long run in terms of maintaining and sustaining peace. You haven't worked in both the public sector and with civil society organization. What do you see as the relationship between addressing the humanitarian crisis and building institutions which facilitate predictable and transparent trade in Yemen? Again, uh, what happened in Yemen is really a very hard shift toward the humanitarian support. And for six years now, people are relying on, not, we are seeing people relying, but as I told you, it's just 20% of the food is being provided by humanitarian support to the general public, while the rest is still provided by the private sector and people are paying for it. So the idea is that I think that building the institutions is very important. As again, you know, uh, humanitarian aid cannot be sustained till the end, Yani. At, this, at some point of time, humanitarian aid should be, will be 
stop. And then the, the regular and the normal structures should be back, especially uh, the private sector and, of course, uh, governmental uh, institutions who are regulating the rule and supporting the rule of the private sector. And I will mention here specifically banking system. Now in Yemen, we are facing very serious problems related to banking system that will affect the role of the private sector seriously. And it might endanger the transparency and the capability of the sector to continue the trade activities. So what we are seeking or what we are looking forward is how to get international support to revive or to re-establish the banking system that allow continuous work of the private sector to fulfill the needs for the essential goods in the first place and also to expand it beyond than this because if we are looking forward to sustainable peace, Yemenis have to think how they can find opportunities for investment, for trade. Again, building the capacities of the institutions is very urgent, is needed and so far, we have gained some support from some, some international organizations like IMF and the World Bank, focusing on this sector, on the, on the banking sector. And we would like to see more effort from the World Trade Organization, also to, uh, to foster this support and uh, to keep the structures that preserve the rule of the Yemeni institutions and allow and expand the, the opportunities of the private sector. Uh, we are looking forward and we are seeking the support for these two pillars to keep the country on the track. Thank you, Afra. This is, uh, these are some of the issues we tried to tackle when we held the Trade for Peace program activity during the Geneva Peace Week. As you know, last year, we organized the Trade for Peace Week and one of the panel was dedicated to the intersection of trade, humanitarian, and peace activities in Yemen. One of the takeaways from the panel discussion was this need for a toolbox of trade instruments, mechanisms, and processes to address trade issues and unlock Yemen's trade potential. Rafat, you having worked both in accessions and having worked in government, what do you think should be included in this toolbox? That's excellent. I think, um, first of all, that was a very useful event, the, the Trade for Peace Week, and I followed uh, some of the panels, including the one on Yemen, closely. And as you said, there are a number of tools that can be used, policies and trade instruments. And I'll, I'll maybe start with one, building up on, on what Afrah just mentioned in terms of the challenges facing the traders and importers and the banking sector. And this is something that we worked on for uh, at least two years or so, uh, in 2017, 2018, which was the need for uh, some trade um, facility to provide foreign currency to importers. There was a foreign currency crunch in Yemen, which uh, led to the point where importers were no longer able to establish letters of credit or pay for uh, imports of food to Yemen. And so, and it coincided with the fragmentation of the central bank in Yemen. And so there was a real need to establish some sort of facility that could help and facilitate imports, especially food imports to Yemen. Uh, unfortunately, it took, as I said, you know, about a year and a half or two years with different international institutions trying to work out the details of how that would work. And it ended up never materializing. And we ended up with getting a deposit from Saudi Arabia and the central bank to finance imports. 
So that's that's one example of something that needs to be worked on. Again, not only in Yemen, we've seen it in other countries as well. Uh, as soon as the conflict starts, you know, international banking uh, is one of the first things that gets affected in that country. And we need to have in place other channels and other ways of facilitating trade there. The other area is I've always argued that the best thing for Yemen would be to pack up and move to Africa. Because <laughs> Africa has so much, so many programs that are helping all African countries get access to, uh, including the ones that need it most, you know, the most fragile and the least developed. And, um, you know, there are excellent programs that Africa benefits from, like AGOA, for example, right, in the US, Africa Growth and Opportunity Act, or the Everything But Arms in the EU. And, you know, this umbrella agreements provides, as I mentioned, you know, the least developed in, in Africa with, with these opportunities. Yemen is always excluded from all these programs because there isn't something for the Middle East, for example, because the majority of our neighbors are too rich to, to, to need some of these facilitation agreements. And so Yemen typically either has to negotiate its own, which, of course, as you know, as, as a very small country and with not much weight, is not going to be able to. And the majority of agreements happen for Africa. And so I think that is another example of instruments that are needed because Yemen has the advantage of having a, a large labor force compared to the surrounding countries and a lot of the, and, and the strategic location. And so you could imagine that there could be better integration with the region where, for example, special economic zones can be set up in Yemen. And exports take place from there uh, if Yemen had preferential access, let's say, to European or uh, North American markets and other markets. You know, a lot of policies around that can be thought of. Uh, and of course, most importantly, you know, our immediate trading partners are uh, the region and specifically, you know, the largest country in the region, Saudi Arabia, which uh, continue to be the main destination for a lot of Yemen's exports. And so a lot of work can be done there, especially in my opinion, in a, in a post-conflict setting, to really better integrate Yemen into the Gulf region, uh, specifically when it comes to trade. And I think that should be the starting point for any conversation on, on economic recovery post-conflict. Those are very interesting suggestions. And I think this is the sort of dialogue that is important to informing uh, the Trade for Peace program in, in terms of the kind of support that is needed by uh, fragile and conflict-affected countries. Now, I would like us to turn to the WTO and to you, Afra. As you know, Yemen joined the WTO in 2014. What do you think the multilateral system can do to help a recently acceded country like Yemen today? I think we can bend on the, what just Rafat mentioned. And I think also that, you know, so, some schemes or some frameworks should be developed to assess countries either in conflict or post-conflict stages and find ways how, how they can be, again, part of the trading, trading map, international trading map again. And uh, trying to avoid any further collapse in the trade uh, in these countries due to, due to the conflict they are facing. Yemen, uh, Yemen has an excellent opportunity because of, uh, you know, different goods that Yemen can either export or uh, import still. Yemen is the, the, the location of the country is just perfect. There are a huge opportunity in this country. And what we are looking forward from the international uh, trade partners is how they can help, you know, countries like ours 
need to fail more and more, you know, and, and rescuing the population in Yemen. We are speaking about, as Rafat mentioned, huge number or a big number of young people. Uh, they need some sort of, of support, either in micro-businesses or uh, either in, in some sort of activities, uh, economical activities that can might help in the post-conflict and reconstruction phase. So we, we think that international partners and the multi-trade can help Yemenis a lot with this. Thank you. Thank you, Afra. And uh, Rafat, you worked in the WTO a few years ago. What is your view on this? Yes, I think definitely Yemen was a great opportunity for Yemen when it joined the WTO back in 2014, because it was a signal that Yemen is ready to be better integrated into the global system and that it was on the right track in terms of creating the right environment internally for attracting investments, for attracting uh, opportunities and building up uh, from there. Unfortunately, of course, we were faced with huge challenges uh, right after the accession locally with the political uh, situation and, and quickly descended into uh, conflict, as you know. But it continues to be that the uh, multilateral system is a way to, as I mentioned, better integrate Yemen, which, in my opinion, cannot do it on its own. And, and in a way, you know, today in Yemen, there is a conflict happening, but it's also a conflict of ideas, of visions for what the future of Yemen looks like. And there's one vision that is a more closed Yemen that believes in uh, only win-lose situations and um, does not welcome the integration into the global economy and into the uh, global world of today. And there is another vision, which is the vision of uh, looking forward to the future, not looking back to history and building on strong roots that Yemen has to be an active player in, in today's world. And I think that vision that a lot of people uh, believe in and, and, and look forward to a vision of prosperity, a vision of coexistence, and a vision of Yemen uh, getting back, to, as I mentioned, to its glorious uh, days of trade, that vision can only be enabled through the multilateral system, through the support from the WTO and, and others for Yemen to get back into that track. So I think this is what the value of the WTO and, and what it can do is to help Yemen achieve that vision and to help Yemen show the value of being part of this system and, and moving forward rather than sticking back and closing up on itself. Thank you, Afra and Rafat, uh, for this insightful discussion. I always end the podcast with the short last question. In just one word, what does trade for peace mean to you and why? Let's start with you, Afra. Yes, I think it is opportunity. And I think it's just match it in my mind that if we can uh, enhance or improve the possibility to vitalize the trading system in Yemen, uh, this will be opportunity not just to bring the peace, but to sustain it. Thank you, Afra. And over to you, Rafat. Trade for peace, for me, means the future. A future that is built on common peace and prosperity for Yemen and for all countries that are suffering from conflict today. And I, I hope that through trade, we can go back to the stability that we had in the country. Thank you, Rafat. And you've heard it here on Trade for Peace. That is Ms. Afra Al-Zuba and Mr. Rafat Ali Al-Khali, two Trade for Peace champions from Yemen. Thank you for joining us and thanks to our listeners for tuning into episode eight. Forces from Yemen. I'm your host, Axel Abbey.
You have been listening to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. Subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. For more episodes, visit us at www.tradeforpeace.podbean.com. Be sure to tune in every other week for new episodes. Thanks for listening to Trade for Peace. Peace.